Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. Coming out of Calgary, Alberta. I didn't check the weather all the way across the country, uh, but I do know in Calgary it's beautiful out there today for a February day. I still would like to eventually retire somewhere where it doesn't snow ever, but uh, for the time being, I will be happy with how it's going out there right now. Boy, it's been a nice one. People can howl about global warming all they like. I say bring it on. It's fine by me. Uh, so, yes, I got a good show ahead today, guys. I got uh, Nadine Wellwood. She's going to come on, and we're going to talk a bit about the Alberta pension plan. I mean, other provinces should look at that, too. It's not gone away, though I think the government kind of didn't do really great in rolling it out, and they're kind of just putting it on the back burner for now, which is too bad because it really is a concept that needs to go somewhere. So we'll discuss that a little longer and uh, see where it may be going. Be sure to use the... Uh, Comment, scroll, guys. For those of you who were watching live, I see Wild Rose there and others. Throw me questions my way to my guests or just give statements or even chat with each other. I like to see that activity. Just, again, try to keep things fairly civil. Now I'll move away from being civil and move on to one of my favorite subjects, and that's talking about public sector unions. Yeah, that's a, a common topic with me because I'm tired of them. I'm tired of a lot of the stuff they pull off. Not the people within them necessarily, but the unions themselves. So last week, the annual Calgary Teachers Convention was held. Every public school in the city was closed for Thursday and Friday as teachers gathered downtown, or at least ostensibly did. There's nothing new, and most professions hold conventions. That's fine. Gatherings of working peers can be very productive in keeping up with new trends and in sharing experiences. I was curious about something, though, and I asked on X why the Teachers Convention is scheduled in February just before a long weekend, when... The event could be held at the beginning or the end of the school year so the students aren't disrupted you know, out of two more days of instruction. I mean, the average teacher, average in Alberta, makes 82000 a year. Not bad coin, plus a lot of benefits. The average Albertan salary who's not a teacher is about 70000 a year. But on top of that, teachers work 50 fewer days per year, 50 working days per year less than any other profession. As they get summer off, fall break, Christmas break, spring break... I don't know, Arbor Day break, Ethel Merman's, Merman's birthday break. They, they're always off for one thing or another. So is it unreasonable to ask them to set aside two days during a non-instructional period for their convention? Apparently that was unreasonable because the reaction to my question on X was nuclear. As accounts flew out of the woodwork to call me, of course, every name in the book and depicting all teachers as being living saints. And I know there's a lot of great teachers and it's hard work. This is nothing new. Whenever I'm critical of anything in healthcare or education, a swarm of accounts, typically backed by unions, comes into attack mode and comes after me. That's how the unions, I mean, they know how to play social media. But the discussion went on, and hundreds of parents joined that thread on X, actually. And uh, despite the howls of the accounts decrying the question, some parents are concerned, too. And taxpayers, they're wondering about the number of days teachers put in, along with the amount of instructional time our kids are getting. But it's hard to have such a discussion due to the indignant raging of the union accounts, unfortunately. I mean, teachers have a tough and important job. I don't think anybody denies that. So do nurses, for that matter. But due to this, we should be subjecting those professions to a high degree of scrutiny to ensure we're getting the most from them that we can. We certainly compensate them well enough. Unfortunately, the unions feel the opposite way. They feel that they should shout down anybody questioning the system or anybody working within it, and they facilitate mediocrity within the process. Nurses and teachers both enjoy very lucrative pension plans where the taxpayers match contributions for them. Hey, good on them. That's what the collective bargaining is supposed to lead towards. Why, though, are the unions directly opposing the efforts of common Albertans to improve their own pension plan? The average payout from the Canada Pension Plan for Retired Canadians is a paltry $758 a month. Rest assured, teachers and nurses are receiving much more than that when they retire. 
Despite their being generously covered in retirement, the unions are spending dues from members to fight the possible creation of an Alberta pension plan. The Alberta Nurses Union gave $200,000 in members' dues to the Alberta Federation of Labor, specifically for the AFL, to fight against Albertans who are seeking a better pension plan. Why do the unions oppose pension improvements for common citizens? Well, the bottom line is the unions don't care whatsoever about the fate of common citizens. They only care about union workers. And they want this financial state for non-union workers to be as miserable as possible because they're hoping those people will either join unions or form new ones. Private sector union membership has been falling for decades and the public sector unions are trying to spur a union membership revival by stifling public pension plan reforms. It really does expose how self-serving public service unions are. Now, not all workers are equal. They have variable degrees of talent and work ethic. Some teachers are worth twice what they're making now. And come on, let's face it, some are just mailing it in. They should probably be kicked out and into a different profession. Separating the good from the bad is impossible in a union environment, however. Those who work hard eventually burn out as they watch the lazy standing next to them getting the same compensation. There's little incentive to go above and beyond whatever you have for duty. Only through reducing the near monopoly status of healthcare and education are we going to be able to reform these services and get the best we can out of them for citizens. Non-union options need to be available for teachers and nurses to work within. So organized labor must compete actually to get the members themselves. Rather than forcing them into an organization and closed shops, patients and parents should be able to choose between non-union schools and medical services as well. Allowing labor and consumer choice, of course, terrifies unions. Which says a lot, doesn't it? They know what we would do if we had a choice. They're collectivists, though, and compensation based on merit goes against everything they stand for. The unions are there for the unions, and they will fight tooth and nail to maintain their stranglehold on segments of the workforce. Look, there's many great workers in the public sector, but there's a bunch of bums in there, too. And until the public sector unions are disempowered, taxpayers are never going to get full value in return for what's taken from their hard-earned paychecks. The unions know this. That's why they are trying to shut down even the most reasonable of critiques of workers. It's not enough. You know, it's not, it's not going to be until citizens know that what's going on and speak up. The politicians are going to pay attention. The politicians are terrified of unions, too. The Daniel Smith government is prepared for reforms, but they need to know the populations behind them. So make sure to get up there and speak up, guys. Things can be better, but you got to take on those unions. They won't get better until that happens. All right, that's what's got me wound up today. Let's see what else is going on out there in the big bad world and check in with our news editor, Dave Naylor. Hey there, Dave. What's going on today? Oh, tons, Corey, but I gotta gotta wish you a happy birthday first. Oh, uh, thanks. Yeah, I got a little well, older. You only turned thirty once. Something like that. <laughs> uh, uh, no, uh, no, no birthday cards from teachers, I imagine. No, I don't think so. I think I'll be getting dead roses in the mail or something like that. So I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading something on the internet the other day and you know whatever's on the internet has to be factually accurate well of course and, and they're claiming uh, to your worth five million dollars oh yeah you saw that eh? Like, come on man <laughs> oh well you got to negotiate a better deal with derek you know i mean <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know i mean i as i said in response when i saw that when somebody pulled it up off one of those celeb wiki sites i I must have misplaced it. Maybe it's in my other pants or at the other mansion because I can't find that $5 million. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. You're buying lunch uh, the next time. Oh, well, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've had a really busy morning, uh, Corey. Lots of uh, really good stories up there. Uh, right now, we're leading off with an interview uh, Prime Minister Trudeau gave with uh, Ryan Jesperson this morning, and he just shreds Danielle Smith and her government uh, says Albertans are being fooled by uh, 
by uh, by right wing stuff. Uh, says uh, Smith was ripping off uh, oil sands em employees by not helping out with uh, with uh, climate change, and says uh, quote unquote it's not us Eastern bastards. Uh, so uh, some very strong stuff uh, by uh, uh, by Trudeau there. Uh, another uh, sign of what a joke the Canadian justice system is. Uh, serial killer Robert Pigton, who uh, 26 uh, women, I believe, he killed at his pig farm uh, just outside Vancouver. He's up for day parole tomorrow. Um, don't like his chances, but, you know, the fact that he can uh, get it is, uh, is just uh, ridiculous. Uh, the Toronto School Board has released a new booklet on... Uh, uh, their core belief statements, and it's uh, it's rife with uh, anti-white, anti-colonialist stuff that uh, no doubt will get your uh, uh, your blood flowing. Uh, noted columnist John Robson has pitched in today, talking about the intellectual assault on the, uh, the Canadian military and uh, how it's uh, being uh, drastically weakened. Uh, Doctor Phil uh, was on uh, Joe Rogan yesterday, talking about how. Uh, uh, transgendered surgery for for children is wrong. Uh, the poor guy trying to do the uh, uh, recall uh, Mayor Gondek petition in Calgary is being banned from from all city buildings like libraries and and uh, and city halls. So we've got a brief interview with him, and uh, uh, there'll be more to come with that story this afternoon. Uh, and uh, if you're a small business owner, you're not going to be getting as much back in carbon tax rebates as the uh, the Trudeau government has, uh, has clawed, uh, uh, clawed that back. Uh, 6.30 tonight, uh, Nigel, the uh, Premier Smith is giving an address to the, uh, the, uh, the province on uh, her future plans, and uh, we'll have uh, full, co full coverage shortly after she starts speaking. Right on. That is quite a bit on the go there. You guys have been uh, quite busy through this week. At least we don't have to search and scrape for stories. It's just a matter of trying to pick the top ones and get them up there. Exactly. you got to triage uh, the news of the day. Right on. Well, thank you for the update. I'll let you get back to sifting and triaging with it, and uh, I will talk to you after the show. Yeah, I understand we're on the pipeline together, so we'll see you then. You bet. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Corey. That is our news editor, Dave Naylor. And as you can see, yes, lots of stuff breaking and lots of stuff being written and lots of stuff going up on that website. We are independent media folks. That means we don't take any tax dollars. We pride ourselves on that. We like that. It keeps us independent. It keeps it so we answer to you. We answer to the subscribers. But the only way we can do that is if you guys keep subscribing. And subscribers have been fantastic. So those who have already subscribed, Thank you very much. If you haven't, come on, guys. $9.99 a month, 100 bucks for a year. It's like a newspaper subscription. You get past that paywall. You get into all those stories. As you can see, we're covering things as they break, as they go. And uh, it's, well, worth it. Nobody else has given you coverage like this. Come on, look at the legacy media. It's repugnant. All right. Yeah, and look at some of these things, you know, you don't hear about. And so, yeah, here we go with, uh, you know what, to, to give credit where it due. It was Ryan Jesperson. Uh, he he was a, a former radio host in Edmonton. He's got some, uh, an online show similar to this up in Edmonton, sort of a counter side to me. He's quite liberal. And he had Justin Trudeau on, which says a great deal about where he stands on things. But Dave mentioned that. And, uh, you know, that's independent media as well. I have no idea if he takes any tax dollars. But, uh, hey, good on him. The more outlets, the better, the more the merrier, even if you don't agree with the editorial slant of some of them. But Trudeau got on there. 
And yes, he ripped into Smith, basically saying that uh, Albertans are getting fooled by right-wing politicians. Hey, you like that attitude out of him, right? Basically, what he's saying is you're too stupid to vote liberal. You're too dumb to see through what's clearly BS from Smith when the liberals are offering you such a good choice. How dare you get fooled by these right-wing politicians? Talk about a slap in the face, you know, because that's what, when he's saying you're being fooled by them. He's saying you're too dumb to see through something. Brilliant, Justin. Good work. You're certainly going to be winning more seats here in Alberta for it. But all the same, uh, Premier Smith, I mean, whatever she may be, she's not afraid of, uh, uh, kind of you know having conversations with the politicians or standing up to them. And she's uh, her office has responded. They tried to reach out since Trudeau was in Edmonton to uh, glad hand and offer to you know, give us some more of our tax money back to try and build houses that we're not keeping up with because of the mass immigration Trudeau's got on the go. Said, hey, we can get together for a chat while you're here. We'll have a tea. We'll see what we can find for common ground. Well, no, no, Trudeau wouldn't meet with her. All he wants to do is hide on those little shows and lob his little turds over the wall at them and not have to defend himself or uh, respond to those things. But as Dave said, it, it is interesting. It showed uh, more knowledge of Western history than I would have credited Trudeau with to begin with when he did say that uh, he said right wing ideology is getting in the way of Alberta's success right now. Really? Alberta's the most successful province in the country, you peckerhead. We've got a balanced budget. We're reducing our debt. People are moving from across the country to Alberta in record numbers. And you're saying this is getting in the way of our success? Think harder, Justin. But he did say it's, it's not a plot by Eastern bastards. Now, the Eastern bastards reference goes all the way back to the Klein days and a bumper sticker that used to say, let the Eastern bastards freeze in the dark. It was a national energy program thing as well. And uh, as somebody, at least, you know, that was for going after Justin's dada, but uh, some things don't change, I guess, you know, 50 years later, and we still despise the Trudeaus, and they still come here and basically give us the middle finger. So Justin came out to tell us we're all too stupid to understand how to vote for what's good for us. Uh, yet, our economy, as far as uh, compared to the rest of the country, is doing very, very well, despite Trudeau, not because of Trudeau. So yeah, keep coming out, Justin. Keep up the good work. Uh, we'll see if we can't get rid of every liberal in the West in the next election. Uh, there's uh, still a couple hanging in there, like uh, some sort of political dingleberries that are just difficult to comb out. But with enough effort, we can get rid of them. All right, enough of my ranting and raving about Justin. Let's get on to some other ranting and raving with a different face. We've got Nadine Wellwood on deck. She's going to come in. We're going to talk a bit about distancing ourselves from central Canada and uh, the 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 concept of setting up an Alberta pension plan. Uh, that was a, a big issue for a while and when the study came out, but it seems to have kind of quieted down, but it's not gone and uh, it's still worth talking about. Hi, Nadine. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Corey. What an introduction. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Yeah, I got my rant on today. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, it makes it really easy to talk about something like an Alberta pension plan when Trudeau just keeps coming out with announcements and, uh, as you just explained, interviews like that one. Well, yeah, it does show that, you know, the central government doesn't have our interest at heart, no matter what they might claim. And they don't think terribly highly of us, at least not under Trudeau's leadership right now, that's for sure. Uh, and, you know, is it so unreasonable? Is it so selfish? Is it so nasty for Alberta to want perhaps to set up their own pension plan where, you know, and perhaps make a better one than what's existing in the CPP, just like Quebec does? I don't, I don't hear them going and telling Quebecers they're too stupid to know it's good for them. <laughs> well, you don't hear Quebec crying to get back into the Canada pension plan either. So 
<laughs> I think it goes both ways. Yeah. So, I mean, I, as I kind of said to start with, though, you know, I'll, I'll let you kind of expand on it. The, the plan came into the fore. It sounded like the Smith government wanted to move with this. The, the, you know, the, the study came out showing what potentially the province might be owed as, as far as any assets of the Canada pension plan are. But it really just seemed to kind of blow up. I mean, there was a, a, a lot of opposition immediately, which wasn't unexpected from, you know, mainstream media, opposition parties and so on. But it seems like the Smith government kind of took their foot off the gas and they're moving on to other things for now. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that statement, but I mean, this is the reality of where we're at. Politicians are going to react and respond to the public. And so if this is something that Albertans want, this is something that Albertans are going to have to push to make sure that we actually do have an agenda, um, a, a referendum. And uh, we are going to be the ones responsible for educating people to make informed decisions. And I think right now there's a lot of distrust of the government, which is obviously an obstacle that we have to overcome. Um, and Justin Trudeau helps every which way he can uh, to make that uh, more obvious to Albertans that obviously the government at home here, if you trust it or don't trust uh, Danielle Smith and the UCP, is somewhat irrelevant. I think it's an obvious fact that we cannot rely on the federal government and a centralized government in Ottawa to act in our best interests. So much easier to influence a government here at home. And then the other big obstacle I'm seeing is this false sense of security uh, where people just don't have the correct data and the correct information around the Canada pension plan. And so, again, if we want to make this happen, then it's we, the people, it's Albertans that are going to have to make sure that it does happen. Well, and that's uh, part of what's up. Like one of the, the, the quick... Um things that happened when the discussion came up was suddenly the Canada pension plan was trumpeted by defenders as being one of the best pension plans on earth. And we'd be insane to leave that plan. And, and why would we dare leave such a plan? But when you look at it, working an entire lifetime and contributing into it right now, the average payout is less than $800 a month. I'm sorry, but that doesn't sound like a heck of a good plan to me. Yeah, well, the average uh, individual who benefits from the Canada Pension Plan receives on average $758, and that's after 40 years of contributing. Um, if you take a look at what that individual, had they contributed that money on their own, and then the flexibility, let's say, in their own retirement savings plan, uh, would have given them a lot more money with a lot more flexibility, money that they could have then left to their spouse or to their, their children, um, should they, you know, die before having received the pension plan or afterwards. So the Canada Pension Plan, um, according to the Mercer Report, which is a CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst Report, only ranks 12, which is not bad, but it's not the best. Um, even when you look at the returns, I mean, the returns are not reflective of what people receive. So and, and here's two numbers that I'd really like to leave with people if we do nothing else today is that one, there's $1.14 trillion of unfunded liabilities with the Canada Pension Plan. Nobody talks about that. It was hidden in the uh, chief actuary report at the very, very end under acknowledgements. Well, I think that deserves a little bit more of attention than just an acknowledgement. And then the other fact that I really want to bring to people's attention is that come 2026, so just two years away, the chief actuary reports on this as well, that the expenditures for the Canada Pension Plan will exceed the benefits or, or the contributions. So not only do we have 1.14 trillion already, which has grown from 884 in 2019, and it's continuing to grow, it is actually going to 
just exponentially explode when the actual expenditures for the first time exceed the contributions that are coming in. Because what people don't realize is the Canada Pension Plan, the base, is a pay-as-you-go. So it's the people that are contributing today that are paying for the retirees. The retirees that think it's my money, your money was spent long ago. <laughs> it is the people who are working today that are giving you your pension. Yeah, and to give some background, and I, I guess a little bit of credit where it's due, it used to be a pure pay-as-you-go pension plan until about 1997, and Jean Chrétien and uh, Paul Martin did, well, the way they did it was by upping your contributions a great deal, but they did bring it to a point where they started to build a bit of a fund, finally, and it's to the point, as you said, there's, st there's still a tremendous unfunded liability, which means there's, there's going to be a lot of retirees that need to be paid out eventually, and right now, there's about 33% of that is saved up in the fund. It's not enough to cover it. So as you said as well, they're going to have to increase the contribution rates if they want to continue to keep building that fund. And again, as we're saying, for not some really large payouts, really, when you look at it. But some of the question, and I see from Paradoxy asking as well, uh, about when the federal government might give their numbers on what the amount of that fund Alberta might be entitled to, because that's another one of the big question marks that's up there. It did sound from that first report a little bit too generous. I understand it was a, a raw interpretation of the legislation where they came up with that number saying that Alberta would be entitled to over a third of the fund, but uh, it, it did fall under almost under the almost too good to be true sort of aspect of things. When and how do you think we could settle on what the amount Alberta would be entitled to if they left the fund? Well, I think that's actually going to end up in the courts, to be honest, because the federal government obviously does not want Alberta to leave. Um, if they do that, we have the youngest demographic. So when, when you're looking at a pension pl uh, plan of any sort, what they're looking at are three things. They're looking at immigration, they're looking at economy, and they're looking at demographics, of which Alberta outperforms the rest of Canada on all of the above. So the reality is, if Alberta were to leave, it's really going to put a lot of pressure on the Canada Pension Plan and the federal government um, to actually kind of have to explain to people what exactly just happened and why their contributions are going up and why those unfunded liabilities are going to literally just, I think, just exponentially explode. So Alberta is in a really unique situation in the fact that we do have a younger workforce, we have higher incomes, and we could actually reduce our contributions or improve our benefits um, just based upon those things alone. So we don't actually really have to wait for a number, in my opinion, from the Ottawa government um, because it's somewhat irrelevant. We could actually start today, pay as you go. We have more than enough uh, contributions to cover the benefits that we pay out. And as a matter of fact, we would be saving anywhere from three to $5 billion a year that could then be invested in our own Alberta pension plan. And so then whatever comes from Ottawa, whether it's, you know, using a Trevor Tome number of 120 to 150 billion, or we use the LifeWorks number of uh, 334 billion, I'm going, that's a bonus. You know, we're already started, we're already established, we're ahead of the game, and now we get this huge influx of money that comes from the contributions that we've paid. LifeWorks um, calculation wasn't actually that out to lunch. I mean, it was prepared by Bill Morneau, who was the former finance minister for the Liberal Party of Canada. So people say it's not objective and it's, you know, it, it's a stretch. Not really. And even when this was signed originally, Ontario and the Prime Minister, uh, the Premier at the time, made sure that if 
Ontario or any province wanted to leave, they would leave with what they had contributed and what that money, had it been invested in their own pension plan, would look like. So is it going to end up in courts? Probably. Um, I don't think the federal government is any real hurry to give us that number, although they did specify that it should be coming sometime in the fall. But the reality is, Albertans, in my opinion, we shouldn't be waiting. We should be giving notice, take our three years, get ourselves organized, and then let them work out what that number should be. And when it comes, that's a, that's a great bonus. Yeah, well, I mean, another big aspect of this, uh, one of the commenters, Wildrose, said, you know, with that much money all at once, I'd be concerned that the money would be squandered. You mentioned earlier about trust. Like, this is something where there's one shot, though. You know, they've got to make sure we trust the government to properly set up a plan because, hey, even the most well-meaning of governments can screw up badly. And, I mean, this is our retirement we're talking about. We really have to make sure that there is an airtight plan in place before Albertans are ready to leap. Even if the Canadian pension plan isn't great, they don't want to leap to one that's worse. No, we definitely don't want one that's worse. And I think we can actually set one up that's better with better investment objectives, with uh, better governance. Um, and this is not rocket science. I mean, there are investment uh, funds out there. There are pension funds out there that are doing a fantastic job, better than the Canada Pension Plan. Um, and I, we just need to replicate a model that already exists and is already working well. And there's some parts of the Canada Pension Plan that do exactly that, and we can replicate those. So I think the big key thing here is to make sure that it's not uh, politically interfered with, but I mean, obviously, there are still things that need uh, some oversight and you need to make some decisions on how this is going to run, what it's going to look like, what infrastructure, you know, who's going to collect the contributions, who's going to pay out. But again, all of those things kind of already exist. I think Alberta's in a beautiful situation to be able to parry, uh, cherry pick exactly what um, we want and what we don't want and to do it much, much better. Yeah, so Premier Smith is repeatedly committed to holding a referendum before moving on an Alberta pension plan. Uh, you know, some people are saying uh, she shouldn't have to. I don't know. But the bottom line is politically, she's cornered herself into this. Even if there isn't a referendum, you need a lot of public support before you can make this kind of move. I don't think it's quite there yet, but uh, it, it can be there if the... If people, I guess, you know, educate themselves and realize that there's a better plan, but they also need to see some rock solid things. There's a whole bunch of question marks and a whole bunch of generous promises, but until you see some stuff tangible, it's, it's kind of hard to say I'm ready to make that leap. But I mean, is anybody working on that or is the government just kind of tapping the brakes now? Well, I, I think the UCP has tapped the brakes, and I think that's um, that's folly on their part. I think they should be pushing this much harder than what they uh, have been. And because what's happened is, is they're leaving a knowledge gap. And that knowledge gap has been filled with people like the NDP, sadly, who have been, uh, I think, misleading people and misinforming individuals. Um, now, if you also take a look at what the CPP has been doing as well, they have come out with this huge advertising campaign. Um, anytime you go on social media, it's like you have the best pension in the world, CPP, you know, protect it. And, and that's, you know, that these are things that people should be waking up to is like, okay, well, if it was the best in the world, um, okay, they shouldn't need to be advertising, you know, the, the government was criticized a little bit for 
putting out a campaign to provide information to all Albertans equally about the benefits and the merits of an APP. And they were criticized for spending taxpayer dollars. But here you have the Canada Pension Plan, who is already a bloated bureaucracy with huge administration costs. And now they're advertising um, and, and hugely so. So, you know, for me, they're, again, it, it's coming down, I think, to grassroots. And there's organizations like Alberta First Pension, which is uh, what I've been doing uh, the last uh, month or so and will continue to do for the next uh, four to five months here across the province. We're going to be doing 100 meetings. Um, and the goal of those meetings is to have your questions answered. So as a chartered investment manager, I'm very familiar with the CPPIB, I'm very familiar with investments, and I'm very familiar with investment policies and the models that currently exist as to what this could look like. And I'm also very familiar with, you know, I review the annual reports for the Canada Pension Plan. I also review the chief actuarial report. I also have read LifeWorks reports. So, you know, for me, it's about giving people information so they can stand firm in the decision that they make. But we do have to hold Danielle Smith and the UCP, their feet to the fire to make sure that this does do for sure, without a doubt, go to a referendum. So whether you're for or against, um, you know, make sure that your voice is heard, um, but get the information that you need. The CPP is not what people think it is. Um, when you attend these meetings, there is truly a false sense of security, um, and that's due to lack of information. And shame on us, we should do a better job at educating people and giving them the actual facts and the data. Well, it's our job as citizens to do so, and this could inspire other provinces too. I mean, that's, I think, part of what makes them the, the fearful in Ottawa is the, a loss of some centrally controlled uh, funds and, and just control of the, the, the country in general. So, uh, yeah, we've, we've run out the clock here. Before I let you go, uh, you know, maybe one more time, where can people find more information and, and get up to date on this? So people can follow me along if they want uh, at Nadine Wellwood on YouTube or Twitter. Um, I'll be posting information as we uh, post events. You can go to the Alberta Prosperity Project. I think Taking Back Alberta has also been advertising these events. Um, and there is an event this evening actually in Calgary at the Riviera at seven o'clock. Uh, so if you do have questions and you happen to be in the Calgary area, please come out. Everybody is welcome. Um, whether you're for or against is irrelevant. This is about sharing information. So we'll leave it at that. And hopefully um, people do take an interest because it's a very, very important thing. And if not for you, uh, think about your children and your grandchildren in particular. Great. Well, thank you very much, Nadine. And uh, well, keep up the good fight. We'll get a better pension plan yet. <laughs> That's the goal. Thank you so much, Corey. All right. So that was Nadine Wellwood. And yes, there's lots to cover on the, the pension. And there's only so much you can cover in 15 minutes. I, I see a commenter there again, uh, Wadrow saying, will I get more from uh, an Alberta pension plan or the same as a Canadian pension plan? Well, one of the things, if you want to look at the legislation for a province to exit from the CPP, there has to be a, a commitment to at least have a plan as good as the CPP. It has to be uh, providing the same amount of benefits or better than what's already existing. So, or they won't be, that would give the government an excuse to try and block the exit from the, the federal plan. Again, there's a lot of assumptions. That's the problem though. We need to see how would the plan be set up? Would they be looking to have high contributions to try and build a bit of a better uh, nest egg first, you know, before bringing them down later? Or would they be looking to more immediately increase payouts for seniors right now, which would slow the growth of the fund itself? There's a whole lot of questions and that's what makes it hard to make a move this big. But 
if we don't find the courage to make that move, we are committing ourselves uh, to a, a pension fund that, again, who can live on 700 and some dollars a month, guys, for working a lifetime? And then, as Nadine pointed out, with the way the numbers are going, we would have to start contributing more to maintain where that's sitting. So it's just not a tenable path for us right now. And, and uh, examining a provincial plan is a, a very viable and good idea. But again, we got our work cut out for us. And it, it, we have to speak up as citizens. We have to speak to the politicians. And uh, we have to educate ourselves. And we have to um, decide what we want to see exactly out of a plan and, and get that out there. It's a lot of work. But hey, what in life is decent that comes without a whole lot of work? All right, let's uh, talk to something, you know, that again got me. I was hearing in the newsroom today and Dave mentioned it. it was so, you know, uh, Picton, Robert Picton, that sick monster who, who murdered all those women, 26 that we know of. It sounds like there's probably more. I think he was convicted of only six of them because they figured, well, we got six first degree murder convictions. He'll never get out. We can leave it at that and quit wasting the court's money. I can kind of agree with that. But the problem is now, this, this monster is uh, technically up to apply for day parole. And uh, he won't get it. He won't get it. It'll be like Clifford Olson. But, he, you know, the thing that drove me mad all the way from the, the 90s and up with that piece of crap, Clifford Olson, was that he would make those, those parole applications periodically. I don't know what it was, every couple of years or something. And then he would drag the families of his victims in because they'd have to come to those hearings to make sure that that child-killing monster didn't get out. And he would re-victimize those families over and over and over again. And, it, you know, as if they didn't go through enough having their children murdered by that monster, they had to look at him every couple of years while he would apply for parole. We, we need some true life sentences. If it's a true life sentence, we know they're not going to let Picton out. Well, I'll never say anything 100%, but it's exceedingly unlikely. But he could still sit there and waste our time, waste our money, waste our emotional resources by constantly going through crap like Olson did and applying for parole every couple of years. I mean, life needs to mean life. And I mean, that means he dies of old age behind bars. So if you've got that kind of sentence, why are you wasting time with this parole crap? I, I, I understand some sort of faint hope things. Hey, if new evidence came out and somehow there was proof that space aliens had actually killed all those women, fine, we can re-examine his case at that point. Until then, why, why offend the victims' families, offend the nation, assault them? By listening to this you know, piece of crap coming up for possible parole, which, which he won't get. But it's just our, our, our system is so, Canada's got one of the most pathetic justice systems in the world. It really does. We can't keep, I mean, guys like him are going to stay behind bars. But we got a whole lot of violent offenders, repeat offenders that are in and out and in and out. And they do eventually murder people, sometimes on bail, sometimes on parole. Rarely does it come as a first offense, you know? A lot of these ones, they, they, they're chronic offenders. I mean, we hear about the 30, 40 convictions over a lifetime before finally they cross a line and kill somebody. Maybe we should have just kept them in there. When you get, you know, th there's hard realities Canadians don't like to face. Some people are broken. Some people are irredeemable. We can't fix them. And they're dangerous. And when we know that, when we've had somebody, and I'm not talking about somebody who's stolen a car a couple of times or a shoplifter, but when you've had somebody with a lifetime of constant crimes over and over, we have ones like that and violent. Sometimes we have to accept, you know what? We can't fix this person. They're too dangerous to keep in society. We are going to put them away for good. We're going to warehouse them. 
We're not going to, because they talk about, oh, it's so expensive to keep somebody in prison. You know what? If you accept the fact that you're never releasing them, it doesn't have to be that expensive. That's when you can actually warehouse them. That's where you can put those thick concrete walls. That's when you're not going to waste time trying to get them a university degree for when they get out and go to work. They're not going to. They're going to stay there. We got a whole lot of good North Country we could use for that. These guys aren't going to get away. Just don't give them shoes. But either way, our system is sick and we get victimized and uh, live in fear by these repeat offenders. It's just maddening. I, I wrote a piece uh, a couple of years ago. It was one of my most uh, read columns in the Standard because over the course of one year, three mothers in Alberta were murdered in one year in Alberta. And all three of the murderers had, of course, been in and out of the prison system for serious crimes. Like they, if they'd have been kept in prison as they should have been in the first place, all of those mothers, along with one of the children who was murdered with one of those mothers, would still be alive today. But we let them out and the innocent paid the price. And the savages who did it very possibly might get out again. We got to change that. We really do. We say, I don't like big government. I don't like intrusive government. I don't like government in their face, but there's roles that government has. And the protection of the citizens from crime, from violence, that is a clear and definable role of the government. We should feel safe in the streets. We should know that if somebody crosses that line, if somebody is that dangerous, that the state will intervene and take them away from us so we don't have to be victimized by them. And our state is failing us in that. Badly. Badly. Speaking of state failing us, here's, a, here's actually kind of a good news story. This is unusual. So the cabinet is shelving a long-threatened bill to regulate truth and disinformation on the internet. Yeah, they've been talking about for a long time, we're going to regulate the internet. We're going to regulate the truth. We're going to bring in Newspeak. We're going to make sure that people are charged. Yeah, they, see, they want to crack down when somebody says something they don't like. You know, you, you stab a few people, well, you know, we'll get you some therapy. But boy, you say something mean on the internet, we might really have to come after you. But... Uh, uh, this is according to uh, Dominic LeBlanc, public safety minister. So Canadians consider the measure unconstitutional. Good. Yes, yes, it's probably because it is. But that never has stopped the government from stepping on our rights, has it? But they are actually saying, you know what, we're not going to do it. I mean, I'm kind of annoyed that they thought they should or could in the first place. But hey, at least they stopped. It's pretty rare. You don't see that very often. This is a stubborn, prideful administration we have with the Trudeau government. And they don't often, uh, you know, back down on pretty much anything uh, when, when they uh, get their minds set on it. Speaking of which, then let's talk ad scam. Yes, this one. Eh? Here we go. I mean, it stinks. It stinks to high heavens. Three jackasses in a garage somehow get a contract for what it turned out to be turned into sixty million dollars for an app. It should have cost in you know less than a uh, hundred thousand or something to begin with. It was ridiculous padding their pockets. It reeks of corruption. The records have been destroyed or they can't find them. This is the latest out is the Auditor General Karen Hogan. She said, yes, yeah, suspicious lack of records regarding the program. It went over budget, you know, on sweetheart contracting. It's a ripoff. We got hooped. It turns out these clowns, and guess when they started their company? Yeah. Right when Trudeau got elected. Coincidence, I'm sure. Since Trudeau got elected, since they started their company, they've gotten almost a quarter billion dollars in contracts. The, uh, the, the, the ArriveCan ripoff that they've done, that's just one of them. We haven't even audited and looked into all the other stuff that's been tossed at these guys. Why were these guys given so many sole source contracts worth $240 million? 
You'd think our legislators would be able to pull them before the parliament, before committee, and at least start the process of asking questions. And that's what the Conservatives tried to do in Parliament yesterday. And guess what? The Liberals blocked their effort to subpoena and force those guys to come in to the hearings. That tells me they're complicit. That tells me the Liberals are tied up in this. Look, I've participated in writing political spin. I've done those sorts of things. When the government's in trouble or not, when it's something like this, if your government had nothing to do with it, your party had nothing to do with it, even if it was under your watch, I know it's bad for the Liberals, but your best hope would be to get up there and be indignant and say, these guys ripped off Canadians during an emergency. These guys stole from the taxpayers. This is un acceptable, unspeakable. We're going to bring them forward. We're going to investigate this. We're going to get to the bottom of it and some heads are going to roll. And you keep that high ground and you stay up there and make yourself even sound like a victim. You know, we got robbed too. We trusted these guys with, with tax dollars and look what they did. But instead, instead, and the liberals know how to spin. So they chose not to do that. They chose and said to try and shut down efforts to have these guys speak in front of the committee. That stinks. That means they probably have stuff on the liberals. It means they don't want the public to hear because these guys have been hiding. They've been subpoenaed twice and they've refused to show up. And this effort from the conservatives was saying, okay, we can get a sergeant of arms. There is a mechanism. It's been done before. Um, in the Gomery inquiry, I believe it was, there was a, a fellow was it Montgomery or was it, uh, there were so many ripoffs going on or was it the Airbus? It doesn't matter. Somebody was dragged physically, basically, to Parliament by law by the sergeant at arms. So you can make a summons with teeth and say, you have to show up. It's like a court order. But the Liberals shut down that effort. They said, no, we will not allow that. And they stopped it. Now, the Conservatives are going to keep trying, but we'll see. Because you know what's happening quickly. Jagmeet Singh is in there cuddling up to Justin like he does. They cuddle. And he's saying, you know, we can make sure that these guys never have to testify in front of Parliament. What are you going to give me, Justin? What are we going to get now? Am I going to get that Medicare thing we've been pushing for for so long? Will we get more pro-union legislation? Whatever. Jagmeet has Trudeau over a barrel, which means he has us over a barrel. He's willing to cover up probably people who have robbed us, which sounds like what these guys did. The block as well, they haven't been too thrilled with this idea of going after them. Of course not. Their business was based in Montreal. And you got to remember, it's been documented. Quebec has the most corrupt governance in Canada. It always has. Quebecers look at things a lot differently than the rest of us do. That's why these things always erupt out of Quebec. They see bribery and inside dealing and many of those things as just the way you do business. We don't look at it that way in non-Quebec provinces, but Quebecers do. And that's why these scandals always come out of Quebec. So the block is kind of, eh, you know what? We don't need to hear from these guys either. It was just something that happened. You know, it's okay. As long as the money went into the pockets of Quebec, well, it's okay, right? Guys are getting screwed. But this can blow up. This could be massive. I mean, it's already big. It's one more scandal on a pile of scandals, and Justin Trudeau just keeps getting away with it, keeps getting away with it. But when they're now trying, when the government is hiding, they're scrambling, they're trying to cover this up, that means there's got to be a connection somewhere. What are they afraid of? What are they afraid these guys will say if they're brought before a committee? Who are they afraid these guys will point towards? Where does this land? Is it a cabinet member? Is it a staffer? Is it the prime minister himself? I don't know. We can't know because the government won't allow us to publicly investigate this. Can't let it go. 
can't let them get away with it again. But they might. They bloody well might. They, they certainly seem to, don't they? Uh, closing off, speaking of our dollars going down the toilet, you know, this is one that hasn't made enough news, but again, it's been that flood, this, this, this uh, riches of news, I guess you could say, in a bad way to deal with. But uh, Finance Minister Christia Freeland, yes, everybody's favorite little munchkin there, has uh, granted herself the authority to increase federal borrowing to $517 billion. Yeah, $73 billion higher than estimated already. They're spending us into oblivion. They're desperate. They're in the toilet in the polls. Their chances of getting reelected are next to none. They're hoping they can buy our love with borrowed money. They're borrowing on the backs of your children or at the rate they're going, great, great grandchildren to try and buy your love and somehow survive the next election. And it's not going to happen, but they can sure cause a heck of a lot of damage while they're doing it. So they raise the federal debt ceiling from $1.168 trillion to $1.831 trillion. 1.831 trillion in a country of 40 million people. It's a massive amount, an almost insurmountable amount of debt that we pay for. We will pay for. We pay interest on it. We pay debt servicing costs. It's money flushed down the toilet. Welcome to Canada, guys. And you wonder why I talk about independence for the West. Well, though, again, as I said earlier, if citizens don't engage, if we don't pay attention, we don't take part, the West can screw itself just as effectively as Central Canada does. It's up to us. We've got to stay engaged. We've got to stay on top of it. We've got to stay on top of the politicians. We have to get on the ground. We have to watch the news. As frustrating as it might be, as gray as it makes our hair, because it won't change if we don't try. Might fail even if we do try, but at least you tried. And we've got to keep trying. All right. That's all I got for this week, guys. Be sure to turn in tonight. It is going to be a good one with the pipeline. Yes, and uh, there will be discussions with uh, Premier Smith's uh, address to the province and lots of other subjects to cover. And, of course, I will be back again next week, and we will go through the latest of issues at that time with a whole new guest and uh, see what's happening. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long Long ago, these guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.